0: Hey, uh, good to see everybody in all five of our campuses. Thank you so much for gathering with us, sharing your weekend with us at Rockbridge Community Church. My name is uh, Matt Evans, and again, uh, glad that y'all are here. You're out here on a great weekend because we start... Like a new message series, and this is a great time to be here. Uh, With part one, though, of any series, because we're going to talk about a concept for several weeks together. So with part one, there will be more questions that arise than I can answer. So that's why you got to come back for like parts two and beyond. But I'm excited about today because I think All of us will be able to relate to some of the questions that are going to come up in the course of our conversation today. So if you kind of think about your life, it sometimes seems like, you know, our lives are like pulled in multiple directions and we're not really sure how everything fits together. So you think about like you've got like your family life, you know, and, and you've got this part of you. And then you've got like your church or your spiritual life. And some of you are exploring that or considering that like your faith life. And then you've got all these things going on in your world and the world. And you're like, man, that, what's going on over there? What's going on here? Does anything tie together? And then I pulled out an old Navy hat. So for me, that's like your work and your life at work. And so you've got all these kind of different parts of you. And you're like, does anything tie all this together? Does anything make this kind of fit together and and make sense? Does anything kind of connect the dots between my my faith, my work, my family, my job? or, Or some of us just reach the conclusion it's kind of just random, like the roll of a dice that life is just sort of kind of random events, sort of tied together and, and there's the church me or the God and me part and then I've got to go do my deal at work and then I finally get to come home but then there's all this stuff going on in the world that I don't really understand or I don't, doesn't really make sense and, and, and all of those questions and that kind of longing for is there something that ties it together, something that's kind of overarching that connects the dots indicates something very unique about human beings because here, here's the deal I have a dog, my dog is not asking these questions, right? My dog is not worried about how everything fits together. I mean, my dog is sleep, lick, poop, and and, and repeat. That's kind of it, right? And go for a walk if he's lucky, right? I mean, that's just kind of the deal. They're not asking those kind of questions, but we're asking questions of meaning, of significance, of why am I here, of why does that happen, of does God have a plan for me? Is there a God? And we're asking all those kind of questions. And and what that indicates is there's a longing inside of all of us for something that we're going to call story, that we are a story-shaped, or I might say it this way, a story-starved people. That we are looking for a story, like a chapter one, scene one, that ties all this together. A story that makes our existence make sense, but not only makes our existence make sense, but also gives us a sense of significance. And and we're wired for that. And there's something going on where, you know, you'll go up to someone and, and say, Hey, what's your story? And you immediately know what they're talking about. They kind of want to know how you got where you are, what about your upbringing, what about your job, what about your education, how'd you land in, the, you know, in Hickson, Tennessee, or how'd you land in Ringgold, Georgia, or Dalton, Georgia, or whatever. And so when you know someone says, hey, what's your story, you know what they're talking about. You know you've asked questions like, why am I here? Why do bad things happen to good people? Is there a God? If there is a God, does he even care about this stuff going on? Or is it just sort of a roll of the dice? And so we're kind of like this story-starved people. And it, but we need a story to help us make sense of our lives. And stories help us navigate. Like when things happen to you, you tell yourself something. You tell yourself a story. You say something in your head like, I'm no good, or God is good, or God's got a plan, or I don't know if there's a God, or man, that didn't work out, I'm, I'm a nobody. I mean, you talk to yourself, and you're telling yourself a narrative. You're telling yourself a story. And without the right story, we can't make sense of all of this. And, and this world that we live in will either seem random or will follow the wrong script. And we'll get to the end of our lives, and we're like, man, what's happened? And we've got regrets, and we've got confusion. So, like, you need this meaning. So imagine you, like, walked into a, a sports arena or a civic auditorium or something like this, and, and you see kind of two guys, you know, in, like, colorful underwear, and they're, like, hitting each other with a steel chair. And you're like, and there's a policeman watching, and you're like, why aren't you doing anything about it? What's going on? And then you look up, and you see these letters, WWE. And you're like, oh. You know, now it makes sense, right? So you need something that ties it all together. You need something to make sense of the world you live in, your job, your family, your career, your faith, and and something to tie it all together. And so we're going to start this series called Intersection. And we're going to see and try to see what it is that ties all of this together. To start us off, we're going to be in a very small book of the Bible, like five books from the end of the Old Testament named Habakkuk, and it is a minor prophet book, not because it's less important, just because it's kind of short, and we're going to read a a question and a a problem that Habakkuk encounters, and and we're going to discover how he's looking for a story to make sense of what is happening in his world and what is happening around him. So you can look on your Bible, you can turn it on, you can follow along with me. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 the pronouncement that the prophet habakkuk saw how long o lord must i call for help and you do not listen now he's upset because in his part of the world there's a lot of random there's a lot of injustice going on there's corruption and things like that so his news feed is not real good and so he's like okay god how long and and you've asked that question how long is the question of story like when is this chapter going to end When am I gonna start a fresh chapter? You've asked that question. Some of you are in that question right now. So how long, O Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing, conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. And here's the beautiful thing about the Bible and about reading what we just read. You have asked questions like that. You've looked at, at this slice of time or this season of your life, and you've bumped into questions and tensions that you can't reconcile. Like you can't reconcile the notion of God and what's happening in your world. You can't reconcile the notion of what your family is going through and then what you've got to be doing at work, and it just seems incompatible, and you can't wrestle with, or you can't figure it out and you can't connect the dots. And here's where we need to understand what that, where that's coming from. The questions that we ask and the tensions that we feel are about our need for story, about our need for something to sort of tie all this together, something to sort of make sense of this. This is like the beautiful thing of why we go to plays and why we go to music or why we go to movies and why we like ballads. They tell a story, and you know in about two hours everything's going to make sense. The problem for us is, you know, our lives are longer than two hours. And our story, if there is a story, is a lot more complicated than can be resolved based on a Hollywood movie script. But the questions you're asking and the tensions that you feel, is there a God, why am I here, why does that happen, does my work matter, is today just an ordinary, normal time to make the donuts day? Uh, am, am I just a policeman, am I just a business person, am I just a student, all of those questions and the tensions that come around are about our need for story. Habakkuk continues, and God begins to answer Habakkuk back. Here's what he says in verse 5. He says, look at the nations. This is God talking. Okay, you don't think anything's happening. You can't make sense of the world around you. And here's what he says. Look. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your day. I am this massive, eternal God, and I am doing something in your day that you will not believe when you hear about it. And God comes back at Habakkuk and says something that you need to hear and I need to hear. Here's what God says. I am authoring a story. I am working in your time. Even though I'm above time and I created time and I'm eternal, I am authoring a story. So God immediately picks up the dice and he says, nothing is random. Uh, He immediately picks up the dice and says, life is not fatalism. Life is not about fate, life is not about rolling the dice and playing the odds that there is an author of a story. That no matter so he just takes that and puts it away no matter how bad it seems or how confusing it seems or what questions emerge I am authoring a story. He doesn't tell Habakkuk how it all works out. He doesn't give him act one, scene one, and act two, scene two. He doesn't give all that. He just says, I am authoring a story. And this is the challenge that we're going to wrestle with for the next several weeks together. That our questions and our tensions that we all have, that my dog's not asking, but we are, as created in the image of God, asking, can be an intersection. And we're defining an intersection as the place where stories collide. And here's what I mean. The story that you're living in, in your little slice of 2018, in your zip code, at your job, with your family, or with your faith, or your pursuit of faith, your little slice of 2018... And the questions we have and the tensions we feel and the worries that we carry and the fears that we kind of like wonder about and this hunger for more of significance and all of that. And and am I ordinary and is life just, you know, make it to Friday and then TGIF, baby. Isn't there more than that or is it less than that or is that all there is all of that stuff. When those questions arise in your soul, when those questions arise in your spirit, it's an intersection and it's a collision Okay, that God's authoring a story. Even in your time, just like he said in Habakkuk, in your days. Even in your days, church. Even in our days, God is authoring a story. And the question is, what is it? How do we find it? And what are we to do with it? So God begins to answer Habakkuk. And he answers him in a way that's really unsatisfying. Which I find helpful that, the, you know, the Bible's not nice and neat. You've got to wrestle with what it says. So here's what he says. He says, look, here's what I'm doing. I am raising up the Chaldeans, and that is a violent, evil group of people. And God says, I'm raising them up. I'm going to use them in my story. And immediately you can feel the tension, right? You can feel like, God, why would you do that? It would be like if, if God prophetically said, hey, I'm raising up ISIS, and I'm going to use ISIS in my story. But like, what? I don't like that. And so that's, that's the tension. You've got to feel the tension in the text. So I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And he calls them out. He says they're bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. And their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. So justice is based on what they think is right. And they think they're sovereign. They think they're in charge. And they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty, God calls them, and their strength is their God. They are on their own agenda. They're on their own path. They're violent, and I'm raising them up to be a source of judgment against the injustice that you're mad about in your nation of Judah, Habakkuk. And, and Habakkuk gets that answer, and, and he's like, I, I don't like that answer. Have you ever not liked an answer that you felt God gave you in your story, in your slice of 2018 or 17? Or maybe you're holding out and and like something happened to you 15 years ago and you've been mad at God or confused at God since and so you've just said, eh, no. Well, that's where Habakkuk is. Or you've watched the news feed and you're like, that doesn't make sense what they do in Washington, D.C. Or why is that happening in the Middle East? Or why did that happen to my family? And, And it's all those questions and all that tension and that's the collision. And you got to feel that tension. Because the bigger the tension, the more beautiful the resolution. The bigger the tension, the more beautiful the resolution. But Habakkuk goes back to God and he asks him another question. Here's what he says. He says this, going to verse 12, chapter 1. He says, God, are you not from eternity? Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? Aren't you above and beyond time? So God, like God's not bound by time like we are. He's not temporal, yet He works in our time. That's fascinating, right? Like blows my mind. He says, "My holy one, you're completely other. I'm not like you. You'll not die. You're eternal. You're immortal, Lord. You are appointed. You have appointed them to execute judgment." And He says, "My rock." And that's a key phrase. He's like, so I'm going to stand on you, God, here. You're authoring a story. I've got to trust you even though I don't get what you're doing, but I'm going to keep asking you some questions. He says, you destined them to punish us? Your eyes, God, are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing, so why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why do you tolerate the Chaldeans? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? So the Chaldeans are worse than the Judeans. The Chaldea, We're better than them. He goes to comparison. So they don't deserve to win the war. We would deserve to win the war based, because we're more righteous. So why are you letting us have this problem? Why are you doing this? Now let me stop right here because here's what God is basically saying. He's using the evil choices of the Chaldeans as a source of judgment against Judah. So he's using or, ca- or allowing something bad to bring judgment to his people, but, but he's going to answer it like in chapter 2 or chapter 3. And that's challenging, right? And yet we celebrate what happened on a cross, What happened on a cross was evil and an injustice to a perfect man who happened to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And God used that evil, God God used the crucifixion of His Son like a criminal, though He had done nothing wrong, and He was perfectly righteous, perfectly innocent, not guilty, and He used that evil to give you and I an opportunity to enter into His kingdom, enter into His family, and be a part of His story. So, there, so there's something about God that defies my understanding and your understanding. So uh, this is where the tensions are. So there's two temptations that I go to, you go to, and we see in the story when you're confused. The first temptation is this, that you confuse the scene you're in for the story you're a part of. That you confuse this scene with the story. And you take this scene and use it to judge the outcome of the story. That you take the scene you're in with your first marriage and how terrible it was. That you take the battle with cancer. That you take the the job loss. That you take, hey, even the roller coaster. Man, I had a great Friday night. You're like, man, life is good. And you judge your life by what you did on Friday night. So you take the scene and confuse it with the story. And that's exactly what Habakkuk does. God, you're going to use the Chaldeans. And God's like, look, I'm doing something. And I'm beyond time, and I'm beyond your comprehension. And, 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 and so God gets put on the witness stand, so to speak. And Habakkuk says, God, I cannot trust you or follow you. I'm not sure about you because of you using the Chaldeans. And you've put God on the same stand because something has rocked your world that you can't tie a bow around and make it nice and neat and fit in our little model of what the good life is. And you've said, God, this scene means something about you that I don't want to accept. And some of us walk away from God because of the scene we're in without understanding the story we're a part of. So I want to give you a hint. Right now, every single one of us, there's a now and a not yet to your story. There's the scene you're in now and how the story has not yet been resolved or finished or finalized. That's a hint for where we're going to go in just a few more moments, okay? You're always in a now, and there's always a not yet. Habakkuk is in a now. Here come the Chaldeans, but there's also a not yet. Now, the second temptation is this, that we start to miss the story of God. Remember, he's authoring a story for the story of me, that we take the story of God and we hijack it. And we take the story of God that's being authored by God, and He's actually the hero of the story. And we take it the story, and we make it the story of me. We make it the story of myself, and we make it the story of I. For Habakkuk, he hijacked it because he's like God. I cannot understand this. There's a proverb that says, "Lean not on your own understanding." For the Chaldeans, they they made the story about what their strength could accomplish. They were humanistic. They were like, this is what I can do, baby. And they just started mowing over nation after nation as a violent force, as a violent enemy. So they take the story of God and they make the story of God about the story of me. This is the great temptation that we have. And the great temptation we have sort of looks like this. Here's my story. And God's sort of up here, and we're like, God, would you come bless my story? God, these are the plans I have. Would you come be a part of them? Or or we just sort of say, well, God's disconnected. God maybe created the world, but he just sort of left it up to us, and we'll just move on our story without God. And that's the great temptation, and that's the great problem. And if you look at where we are as a nation or where we are as a world, we're struggling because we don't have anything, any, because we've written God out of the equation, so many of us, because science can solve all the problems, and that was the hope of the 20th century. You know, the hope of the 20th century was science would solve our problems. And so we had three great isms that arose in the 20th century. We had fascism, communism, and capitalism. And in the 20th century, more human beings were killed, murdered through war and violence than any other century combined. And that, so it's like, well, science can't save us, but but science sort of got rid of God, didn't it? Right, because we figured it out, right? It wasn't God created, it was, you know, some random act created. So we got rid of God, and then we have this thing now that's called postmodernism. And postmodernism says, well, science can't save us, there's no logical, you know, the universe is sort of, everything's sort of random. So postmodernism is this, if it feels good to you, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. Whatever floats your boat, sail on it. We don't say it like that in church. We say this, follow your heart. And here's where the problem comes. Here's where the problem comes. 19 men on September 11th follow their heart. And they thought that was for their happiness. They thought, hey, eternity, rewards, they killed 3,000 Americans and they followed their heart they did what they thought was good stories can collide can't they If you're living in the wrong one now if that seems too extreme for you what about if you're a parent and your story is your career at some point you being a careeraholic workaholic is not a good story for your children but, but it makes you happy getting all, you know, moving up the ladder and getting promoted and all that. So it's, it, it sort of makes you happy. So here, here's what I just want you to, whether you believe in the God of the Bible or not at this point, here's what you got to recognize. My story, just about me, myself, and I ends up being a Chaldean chaos. My story, and it's just about me, ends up being a problem. But, but call time out because Every now and then, though, right? Every now and then, though, you bump up against something, and you're like, I think I'm made for more. Like, you know, Miss America pageants, right? They bring her out and give her the interview questions, and she says stuff like, hey, I want to solve world peace, I want to end world hunger, and I want to make sure everybody spays and neuters their pets, you know? And then she's like, you know, made fun of by late-night TV, but then deep down in your heart, you're sort of like, I think we're made for something more than just nine to five I think I'm made for something more than just like a great Friday night and maybe that's why people get involved with political campaigns and they love it and they'll give their time to it maybe that's why people love football and hey it's our year baby Uh, Maybe that's why people want to climb Mount Everest, that somewhere we realize this story isn't big enough for ourselves. Listen to this quote from a pastor named Paul David Tripp. He says this. He says, We were not created to live only for ourselves. We were put on earth to be part of something bigger than the narrow borders of our own survival and our own little definition of happiness. And there's a word I want you to hear and realize that there's a word called transcendence. That transcendence is we're made for something that transcends our life expectancy. And I want you to embrace that, or at least wrestle with that. I've created a tension, and that might be a collision of your story and another story. So we're made for transcendence. But doesn't it make sense, though, if we're created by an eternal God... To live in our slice of the pie of time. And God's our creator. Doesn't it make sense that we're made for more than 100 years or 90 years or 30 years or however many we get? Doesn't it make sense? And, and those questions you ask around the bonfire, those questions, you know, about Miss America. thats like, Why do we even ask ourselves those questions if we're just about TGIF, baby? Because we are made for more. And so God's saying to Habakkuk, I'm doing more. And you can even understand. And so Habakkuk backs up. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, okay, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. And I will watch to see what he will say and what I should reply about my complaint. And the shift that Habakkuk makes is he goes from questioning God to watching God. And, and, And here's what I want us to pray for together, okay? Could we pray together for this sermon series that we would begin to get eyes to see the work that God is doing and the story that God is authoring in our slice, our days, our time. Habakkuk didn't get it in chapter one. He's open to it in chapter two. And so God, with an open heart, it's amazing what God can do with an open, teachable spirit. It's amazing what God can do when you just say, God, I don't get it but I'm open to what you would say. It's amazing what he will do. It's when we walk in with our nice, neat little formula and our nice, neat little three-step plan, and God's like, I I got nothing for you. So with that open spirit, here's what God says back to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 2. He says this, The Lord answered me, Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. So remember, there's a now to your story and a not yet to the story. Now and not yet. So the vision is not yet, but it is an appointed time. I'm in charge of time, God says. I created it. It testifies about the end. We're going to know how it ends, God says. Remember, the greater the tension, the more beautiful the resolution. And will not lie. Though it delays, and don't we hate it, you know, when we're like, God, you should have been here by now, and God's like, not really. You know, don't you hate that? He says, wait for it, and it will certainly, God promises, it will certainly come, and it won't be late according to my timetable because I have appointed it. So there's a couple of things that just jump out in those couple of verses that we want to grab a hold on. The first one is this. God has recorded his story for us. He told Habakkuk to write it down. Today, we know this as the Bible. Most of us approach the Bible with a one verse at a time, one little tidbit, one little nugget, one little devotional thought at a time. The Bible is a story. The best way to read the Bible is to read it as a story story being authored by God cuz that is what it is. If you're like not a Christian and maybe or maybe you've been a Christian you never really thought about what I'm about to say. But if you're like not a Christian and you come here and it's kind of crazy that we bring out a book, the last the last chapter or the last Uh, The last book of the Bible that was written was written in in the 80s or maybe 95 A.D., that's Revelation. And, And we're still here today reading it and talking about it. We're encouraging you to read it on your own. I preach from it every week, and you're like, man, that seems sort of very old school, very ancient. Why do Christians do that? Because Christians have been given a story, and Christians have recognized they are part of a story, and it's not the story of me, myself, and I. It's the story of God. And that's what we believe, and so we open this authoritative, this book, and and something in this book is is supposed to get us. See, listen, some of us think Christianity is a clean-up and a ticket to heaven. Hey, God will clean your act up a little bit, and take you to heaven when you die. That's not it. There's a story involved that God is authoring, and he writes us into the story and lets us participate. So knowing the story of God helps us spot false stories. Because here's the deal. Every single person here today, you're living in a story. You may feel like they're competing or conflicting, but everybody's living in a story. The question is, which one? Which one? Now, now listen to what uh, Habakkuk kind of bumps into because God goes back to the Chaldeans. Remember those people that, hey... Hey, I, god, habakkuk doesn't like them to be a part of god's story but here's what god says he says this look his ego the chaldeans is inflated he is without integrity but the righteous one will live by his faith his trust in god that god's author and god's got a story moreover wine betrays and an arrogant man is never at rest he enlarges his appetite like sheol and like death he is never satisfied And and so God begins to say, listen, a story driven by me, myself, and I, a story driven by the ego, which is the Chaldean story, is a false story, is a story that will end poorly, that will end bad. And and, and so he says, look, some stories never satisfy, some stories never bring peace. And so you can look at the story you're living and begin to say, "How, how much of my story is driven by my pride? How much of my story is driven by my insecurity? Does the the way I'm living my life, does it give me contentment, satisfaction, and peace that's not superficial and that lasts longer than a Friday night? If the answer to those questions, no, really, when when I'm really being honest, Matt, it doesn't, then you're living a bad story. Here's some potential candidates for false stories, okay? And, And the story of God helps us realize this. I am what I do. I am what I have. Or I am what I can buy. Now, a lot of us are like, I'm not living that story, yet you look at what makes you happy and what gets you nervous. Here's what I know, a lot of people, it's what they can buy, consumerism, and they get real nervous when what they just bought is threatened, or, or, or they're, they're, I am what I do until somebody can do it better, or I can't do it, then who are you? Right? So there's all these stories. Uh, Humanism, which is human strength. I can do it. If it's to be, it's up to me. I'm here by accident. That's the story being told. And there's no purpose in life. How about this? Follow your heart. Do that. And then cynicism is a story where you just don't trust. I don't trust preachers. I don't trust the Bible. I don't trust the government. I don't trust them. And everybody's suspicious. Everybody's suspicious. And then Habakkuk goes through about five woes. And then we come to two big important verses and important concepts. And here's what he says. In the midst of these false stories, here's what we have. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? They're living a story that ends in naught. And here's where he says. For, here it is, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory. As the water covers the sea, the Lord is holy in his temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. And suddenly Habakkuk's story shifts to what he can understand to who God is. Suddenly the story shifts to God is the Chaldeans to now God. And God will fill the earth. And God's glory and God will be made public and be made known. And the shift is from being self-centered to a God-centered story a huge shift from being a story of self to a story of God and it sort of looks like this right? God's story and then God invites me into the story and he invites you into the story through the death of his son Jesus and Habakkuk has this epiphany moment and he started mad at God and he started questioning God then you shift to chapter 3 and we get this like r- weird little uh, Hebrew word in chapter 3 and, and here's where it goes chapter 3 and the word is Shigoneth and I kind of spelled it out so you could understand it a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shigoneth and this is he's going to now sing a song he's going to praise God so chapter 1 is protest and chapter 3 is praise what changed? did the Chaldeans change? no did God change? no Did Habakkuk change? Yes. Why? The story. He changed because now he understood the story. Here's what he says. Beautiful. He says, Lord, I've heard the report about you. I've heard your story, God. I stand in awe of your deeds, how how you've acted. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. And so... God is telling a story, God is authoring a story, and Habakkuk is in awe of it. He was in protest of it a couple of verses ago, and now he's in awe of it because he understands God is moving history in a direction where his glory will fill the earth. And, and, And I'm wired for something bigger than me. I'm wired for transcendence, and you can only find transcendence from a being who is transcendent. And who is that? The Eternal One, my rock. The Holy One, God Almighty. So, some handlebars here. When you open your Bible, you're going to find five movements in the Bible, okay? That will make sense of your story. And here they are. Creation, which is when we're all designed for good. Everything is perfect, everything is good, and the Lord said it was good, and the Lord said it was good. It says it at the end of every creative day. Something goes wrong, the fall. When we are now damaged by sin and evil. And the fall is simply us getting off script. The fall is us saying, hey, I'll write my own story. I don't trust the author of the good story. I'll write my own. And everything goes downhill from then. So people get mad at God because the world is such a bad place. I'm like, this isn't God's original design. And then we have redemption. When Christ entered the story... The fallen, broken story to bring salvation and to bring redemption. And this is when we're restored back into a relationship with God and with other people. And we have a right relationship with God. And we know how to reconcile and get along with other people through the power of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And then God's got mission going now. Where we're sent together as God's people, the church, to bless other people. Like that's where we are in the story. And, and so part of what we're going to be doing in this series is giving you practical opportunities to enter the story of God. And in about two weeks, we'll have an environment called Serve Connect, okay? And at Serve Connect, you'll have a chance to, to get involved in a ministry, a mission, uh, a hope project here at, uh, within the community of Rockbridge. Because we are sent together. We gather together weekly, and then we're sent out, right? And we serve, and we give hope, and we're sent out to bless. And then there's a fifth part of the story, and it's the not yet part. It's called consummation, where everything will be set right, where everything will be set right. We give glimpses of heaven on earth by how we love and how we live and how we sacrifice, but nothing will be finalized until Christ comes back. And Habakkuk now has a paradigm to understand how everything fits together, that God is moving things together, and he ends his three-chapter little book with this. He says this, I heard and trembled within. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. So the Chaldeans will invade us. That's God's judgment against us. But the Chaldeans will get their due because God is a just God and eventually their egocentric story will crash and burn. He says this though the fig tree. Does not bud, and there's no fruit on the vines, and the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen, so we're in recession, depression, the economy is not good, and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. Why? Because he's the author and the hero of the story. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. And he closes with this. He says, he makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. What does he mean? I am sure-footed on unstable terrain. I am sure-footed in a broken world that God is working to restore. I know that God is authoring a story and my dependence and my victory and the consummation, my faith is in Him, says the righteous, Habakkuk 2.10, right? The righteous will live by faith. So the ultimate goal of all that we're talking about is that we would come to a place where we would trust the author and the hero of the story. That means we will have to trust His character over our circumstances. That means we will have to trust His promises over our perceptions. Because the world as you perceive it to be. Is not necessarily the world as God is moving in it. And you have to trust his promises over your perceptions. Now the last point we want to make. And then next week we're going to get so practical. And how to actually you can participate in the story. Here's the deal. Every one of us participates in the story of God. The atheist. The Chaldean. The Chaldean the committed Christian, everybody. God used the Chaldeans. God used Judas Iscariot. You and I, how do you want to be used? Do you want to be Judas or Peter? Do you want to be the Chaldeans? Or someone like Habakkuk? That's where we get to choose. And then remember this. The decisions we make today will be the story we tell tomorrow. decisions we make today will be the story we make tomorrow. God died for you to enter His family, for you to enter His kingdom, and for you to participate in His story. That is our invitation. To be a part of God's story. Let us pray. God, I thank you just for uh, your word. I thank you, God, for the fact that we have questions and the questions we have are in the Bible and, God, that you invite us to a place of faith and trust right now. And, God, I would just ask that all of us walked in here living a story or competing stories or conflicting stories or confusing stories. God, I pray that you would begin to give us eyes just to see the one massive story that you are authoring and that you are inviting us to be a part of, not as passive spectators, but as active participants. God, give us eyes to see and give us the faith to live. In your name we pray. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.